0: Today's guest was born in Brooklyn, New York. She is now LA based. She's a yoga teacher, a black lesbian activist, a wellness advocate, and the founder of Black Women's Yoga Co. I think we actually only discussed one of the questions that I prepared for this interview. We went off on a little bit of a tangent, but oh my goodness, it was a tangent that needed to be had. I'm so excited for you to listen to this interview. I hope you can open your heart, your ears, your mind to the discussion, take in everything that we're saying, see how it resonates with you. And then please with this one, check out the show notes for a variety of resources that will help you dive into this conversation even further. Let's dive in. Mel, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. How did you get here to this place where you have this platform where you're teaching yoga where you have your own community what inspired you to get into this work
1: It just sort of happened. A lot of the components of what I do are things I've always done. Like I've always documented bits and pieces of my life. I've always taken a ton of pictures far before we were carrying cameras around. I don't know really when the shift of sharing online started, but it just sort of unfolded in itself. And it definitely blossomed when I started practicing yoga, which is maybe just... About three or four years ago. What? You started practicing
0: yoga three or four years ago?
1: Yeah. It it surprises a lot of people.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. How old are you right now? So I'm
1: 31. Okay. And where do you live? Los Angeles. I live in the Valley now.
0: What were you doing before you moved to LA?
1: So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I lived there my whole life until... I was probably about 26. I was doing lots of different stuff. I've always been a person who sort of follows my whims. So I've had a ton of different jobs. I mean, working in New York, that's also sort of commonplace. But I've been everything from like a cashier to a waitress. I went to school to be a paralegal. So I was a paralegal for a while. I've worked at nonprofits. I worked with kids. I've been a nanny.
0: Wow, I love this because I feel like there's so many people who are in that stage where they're working in so many jobs. I feel like that was me in my 20s as well. And there's a real sense of it being not enough or being wrong. Like I need to figure out what my purpose is. I don't feel connected to what I'm passionate about or I haven't landed in that one career yet. How do you think having all those jobs and trying all of those things shaped the direction that you went in?
1: Well, I think I came to understand better through trial and error what I like and what I don't like. The last like full time job that I had, I had for almost five years, and it was I was a senior operations manager at a tech company, actually, which is very different than what <laughs> I do now. That actually like helped me move to LA because we had an office here and I could sort of shift and I got to travel with that job. So like just feeling out all the different stuff that I like. I do think all of my experiences sort of culminated in that same learned experience in a really different way. Just more like hands-on experience based, seeing what's out there and trying it all on and picking what I like and dropping what I don't like. I think that's like something we could take anywhere really.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And when you look at the course of an entire lifetime, it's a long time. So to take 15, 10, 20, whatever, even 40 years to experiment, to try things on, to drop things that aren't working, to learn. I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what life is all about. But I do feel there's almost a sense of urgency. There's a sense of I need to accomplish all of these things and make it somewhere. I don't know where it is that we're heading, but make it somewhere by the time I'm 30 or by the time I'm 35 or whatever this number is.
1: I don't know that I've ever subscribed very much to that idea. I've definitely succumbed a few times to like the pressures of that line of thinking that most people do. And I mean, I am the daughter of immigrants, so I'm a first generation American and that's a huge factor Two, when you're thinking about what you're going to do, you know that people left their homes and moved to a place with you in mind. Maybe you didn't exist yet, but with you in mind, for sure. And so people don't always see that life is meant to be that flow of like, I'm trying this and if it doesn't work, I'm going to leave it and try something else.
0: Mm. What was the first job that you left where you felt a bit nervous to leave? Like you might let your parents down.
1: When I was a paralegal, uh, my mom is a stenographer and I started to go to school for stenography and then I realized that I didn't want to do that. And so I only needed maybe a few more credits to get a paralegal degree. And of course then my mom's like, you know, get a paralegal job with your degree. And I did absolutely hated it. Mm. I was constantly anxious working in a system like that. There's so many factors that are to the minute, to the moment. It felt so draining And even though my family seemed really pleased because I was like putting on a business casual outfit and going to an office where I had a desk every day, I just hated it. And after not even a year, I actually quit. And I went back to the job I had before that, which was working at a nonprofit running a pier with like mini golf and like beach volleyball and snacks yes
0: well it was a safe place to go and just tie up the boat for a moment (laughs) to like just like find your footing again and stuff
1: I think it was realizing like oh I have to do this thing five five times a week and there's only like seven days out of the week that I have things to do and if I hate five of the days I just hated that feeling
0: it is our work is such a big part of our life story and our time and our energy. So when you started to realize, okay, I'm feeling anxious, because let me tell you, I hear this story all the time. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I've got the Sunday scaries every week. I don't think this job is aligned, but I don't know what else I would do. And if I leave it, I'm, I'm most likely taking a pay cut. I'm most likely downgrading. I'm putting my air quotes up here right now. Because we have this idea that we should constantly be moving up and constantly be making more. It's this rat race that we get stuck in. So how did you navigate that moment?
1: It was funny because there was a lot of respectability politics to it, too which plays into so many of the decisions we make because we think about what people are going to think about it or the status it comes with. But I actually made more managing the mini golf course than I made as a paralegal. Hell yes. (laughs) You know, maybe I was wearing a t-shirt to work every day, but I was like really like much happier. And that gave me the space to actually relax a little bit. And it made the space for me to focus on finding a job I actually enjoyed for a really long time. And was able to like benefit from outside of just the optics of what it looked like. But I just had to really trust like doing what felt good and figuring it out later, I guess.
0: It's such a courageous, beautiful move that somebody can take for themselves. And I feel like we so often have this moment where, whether it's with a career or somebody that you're dating or where you're living, where we, have to separate a little bit and say, what is it that I want? What am I doing for myself? And that can be a really challenging moment, but also so empowering. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash rawbeautytalks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash rawbeautytalks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L. over. So you land in LA eventually. Where does yoga come into the scene?
1: So I lived a few minutes walk away from a gym. I decided to join the gym. I had like gone through extreme weight loss uh, in a very unhealthy way prior to that, where I lost about 150 pounds in maybe a year after being mostly inactive for like most of my life, you know, there's a lot of praise that comes with weight loss. And I'm really careful about how I talk about that time now because I was not healthy in any way. I was using one of those, those apps that tells you, you should eat negative thousands of calories a day or whatever nonsense. I was like working out for like two hours every day to make sure I burned off everything I ate, even though I was eating, like it was so not healthy. And so of course I gained all, like most of that weight back. I gained about half of that weight back. That's not maintainable. I wanted to be skinny. I starved and exercised myself into being skinny. And then once I was skinny, I didn't really know what to do. At that point, I'm not really sure what caused the shift, but I decided that I really wanted to focus on feeling strong. The example that I always use, and I don't know where I got this from at all, but is that like, if I was hanging off the side of a cliff, I would like to be able to hold myself up for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, to
0: be, to have some strength.
1: Yeah. And so I started to focus really on building strength in my body. And I went to the gym and I, but I found that it was mundane and boring. Like I just could not maintain going to the gym at all. I was so bored with it. TV didn't help. Music didn't help. And then I tried a yoga class. And I actually thought that it would be really easy, light, stretchy. And so I actually, maybe within like 12 minutes before the class, I biked three miles to and from the library to return some books. I was like, I can just return these books and I'll go and I'll stretch and it'll be totally fine. No, it was a power (laughs) yoga class. I got my butt kicked. Like, absolutely. (laughs) I had tried yoga before that a few times here or there. And mm, this was the first time I tried it in a community of people that looked like me. So this was the first time I had a black instructor. This was the first time I was in a class where they were playing like R&B music, soul music, like things like that. And something just really clicked. I absolutely fell in love. I started going to that teacher's classes every time she had them, which was twice a week at the gym. It just rolled along from there. And I, I really immediately knew that I wanted to become a yoga teacher because I just felt so good practicing And I had never had that experience. Like it's not in the neighborhood that I grew up in. It's not really in the communities that I grew up in. And I knew that I wanted to share it with my community. That's what started the collective.
0: I love how you say in your bio that you wanted to start a community or collective that would address the fact that you didn't see your own face in a lot of these classes that you went to as a black woman so you would go to these classes and it would be a lot of white women.
1: It's funny because I think I had this experience of culture shock because where I started practicing, it was almost entirely women of color. Then when I left the gym and I started going to studios, I was like, oh, wait, like there's actually not really any other uh, there are black people around. And I couldn't figure out why I like started to research like are there studios are there and I mean when you google you know yoga or you look at pictures videos all that stuff it's changed a lot in the last like year year and a half honestly but before you you really couldn't find it anywhere and I knew if I was looking for it that other people had to be looking for it too It just sort of rolled along from there and it turned out to be very, very true. People are really looking for it, you know, like that representation. I hear that from a lot of people, not just about being a black woman too, about body type. I hear from a lot of women like, wow, to see that someone who's shaped like me can do these poses encourages me to try to do yoga. I thought it wasn't for me. And so I think a lot of my work has been very grounded in just existing a little bit more loudly.
0: Hallelujah. It's a hard thing to do to live loudly in a world that's kind of telling women in general to be smaller, to be quieter, to be softer, to kind of just disappear, to show up and be loud and take up space and create new spaces is very powerful.
1: Yeah, thank you. And especially in the wellness industry, there's like just so, so much spiritual bypassing and a lot of shame around speaking up where it's like, you know, you don't want to be the negative person. Or, I mean, as a black woman, there's always a fear of being kind of labeled as that angry black woman when you speak up for yourself. It's difficult because a lot of people don't mean any harm in a lot of the things that they do that are harmful. Like, for example, I was once, working the front desk at a studio and I was wearing a wig, which was like a natural hair looking sort of wig. And one of the teachers, you know, she comes up to this and she's like, Oh my God, I love your hair. It's my favorite kind of hair. Like, can you shake it? And it's like, Oh my right. God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely don't want to be I don't think she was a bad person. I don't think she meant me any harm. I genuinely think that she believed that she was complimenting me and kind of connecting with me. And it was immensely uncomfortable.
0: I think there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of very necessary learning. And it's learning that should have happened a lifetime ago. And yet it's all bubbled to the surface. And as a white woman, who you know i've been reading a lot about intersectionality in wellness because it's something that's really important to me for raw to be anti-racist inclusive of body types of genders of of skin colors and recognizing the privilege that i have in not only my body type my skin color the fact that i'm a straight able-bodied woman There's not a lot that I can do about that. That's how I was born. However, I can use this place of privilege. I can use my company. I can use the platform that I have to create space to have these conversations. And so it's really the least that I can do and that we can do for anybody who's listening right now is to understand, to read, to learn, to explore. Yeah,
1: I think we all just have to take the responsibility on of doing the work to unpack our privileges. Right. Because like I have privilege as a light skinned woman, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that's something that I have to think about when I'm doing things, when I'm moving through spaces, how can I use the privileges that I have as an able-bodied light skinned woman to benefit people who have less privilege than me. And I think it just goes kind of up and up and it really, it's just about responsibility because no, none of us can do anything about how we were born. like for a long time, I had a lot of like guilt in taking up space because there is an ample amount of light skin representation in the world. You know, like that's kind of a conversation that we have a lot. And so it's like for a while that a little bit held me back because it's like, okay, do I need to take up space more space? And I just realized that, There's space for actually everyone and it's using your space in a way that recognizes your privilege and then uses it to benefit people who don't have that same privilege. And so Mm. I don't think anyone's going to be perfect. There's a lot of stuff that didn't exist when I was younger. There's a lot we all have to learn about a lot of different things. I am recently realizing we don't use closed captions on our videos
0: Right, exactly, which is, it completely leaves out a whole section of the community. Yeah. Right.
1: And so it's just taking that in and I think not villainizing ourselves, but just taking the steps to like impact the change. Okay, now I know that what I'm doing wasn't as inclusive as I thought it was. How can I shift so that it is? And in every regard, we can do that, whether it's being mindful of the language that we use or being mindful of who we hire to work on projects, things like that, you know, just like really intentional about the steps that we take in impacting the change that we want to make, I think is where, where it all really like comes together where it's like, Oh, I mean to do good. And then I'm really intentional throughout the process of doing good.
0: Yeah. And, and just actually taking the actions. I think a lot of people felt a lot of emotion And that's great. But let's use that as jet fuel to then create a different world. Let's actually channel that into making this world a better space for every body. I want to chat a little bit about the world of wellness. As you said, there has been some changes, not nearly enough in the last year or so. But before that, it was predominantly this white woman's world. When you think about what does a yoga teacher look like? It was a white woman, probably blonde hair, a couple tattoos in a small body, drinking $8 Whole Foods green juices and practicing at a beautiful studio in New York or LA, spending $35 on a drop-in Like, I'm looking at the screen right now. I see myself. I'm a white-bodied, blonde-haired woman who has spent $30 on yoga classes. And so it's not, this is not about that, but it's about where is everyone else? And what impact does it have when that's the only person that we can see in the world of wellness? And when that's not accessible to 95% of people in a sustainable fashion, that's not wellness. That's exclusivity that just makes all of us feel like shit because no one can actually afford that or do that.
1: Yeah, I think that most things are co-opted by wealthy white people and yes. consumed, especially in the Western world. That is just sort of the culture. I feel like yoga has a lot been pitched as like this thing that wealthy, wealthy women do at lunch when everyone else is working. <laughs> to just discover that that's not the case. And then to like watch people discover that that's not the case and to be able to really impact people in a, a bigger way because it's all about feeling good. Like can't everyone feel good? Ultimately you don't have to spend $30 on a yoga class and 200 on the outfit to feel good. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with expensive yoga clothes or with, like, whatever. It it just – I think everybody should do what makes them happy. And I think there's something incredibly wrong with saying, may beings everywhere be happy, safe, and free in a space where everybody can't get to. (laughs) Do you mean that? And, like, which – who do you mean? And, I mean, honestly, a branch of the organization that I trained with, they have an organization over in Kenya and – It seems like a really nice idea to do, but people can't afford your classes here. So the solution is to give them out for free in Kenya. I don't understand. Like it doesn't, do you mean what you're saying or is this an optical thing? Does it look really good to be having free teacher trainings in Kenya? Just realizing and unpacking, like, why are you doing what you're doing? And when you talk to people, a lot of the times they don't really want to hear that what they're doing is not quite right. Especially in wellness. Right. It's just unpacking all of the stuff that we have been taught about what yoga looks like. I think for me, a lot of that has been bringing it to people who haven't had access to it. I, we teach $7 drop in virtual classes at the collective. It doesn't mean that we make very much money off of teaching the classes. That's just sort of a decision to make because I know that there are people who will be excluded by that price tag. You know, I worked at places that I could not have afforded to practice at if I didn't work there. So it's like, if you are like wellness is just for like rich stay at home moms in your neighborhood, are you the change? Like, are you <laughs> the collective classes are for everyone? We have a ton of different kinds of people. White people come Latinas come any really anyone's welcome in our classes. And, The reason is because I think that it's, like, about all of us coming together in a way that's, like, acknowledging all of our differences and then flowing with them. Like, I – a lot of yoga spaces also want you to be very, like, I don't see color. And, like, that is such a privileged thing to say. Like, even the ability to say I don't see color comes from the fact that color has never – impacted you it erases people's experiences so all of the things that I've experienced based on the color of my skin you don't see those things is what you're saying to me so in my first teacher training I was in a small group with someone who later turned out to be very racist to me on Facebook and this was someone that I thought I truly bonded with Mm -hmm. and then a year later you know spewing hate to me online and it's like this is actually a product of, I don't see color because if I can't acknowledge the differences, my differences in a space, I was one of only two black people at this yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. If we don't see that there's a difference happening, then we also don't see that there's a possibility that there's hate here. There's no protection. If you don't even see that there could be a threat, it makes a lot of wellness spaces feel dangerous. Mm. There's so many different kinds of racism that exist. And a lot of people think it's only like, you know, very over hateful language, you know, violent outburst abuse. And, you know, it turns out that the person who was at my teacher training is an institutional racist who hates immigrants, you know, like a different kind of racism. So he thought I was great because I'm an American.
0: <laughs> but, right. And so
1: it's like even understanding the nuance of that is something that a lot of people don't take the time to understand. And so that makes that, that ideology of like, we're all equal here. We're all the same. And it's like, to an extent, we really, we breathe, we breathe in a room and that breath connects all of our breath connects, no matter what color we are, no matter which size, no matter where we come from, very true. And then we're all living on this planet where everything means something. Everything means something, whether we want it to or not. You look at people and you take them in and everything that you see means something to you. It's the nature of humans. And we can start to understand why what we see means what we think it means and decode that and rewrite what we see and what it means. But it takes an honesty. Like even me, I realized that I was like really judgmental about some things and I will now like out loud, correct myself. Like maybe I'll see someone with real funky eyebrows and I'll be like, Oh my God, those eyebrows. And then I'm like, you know what? Those eyebrows make her happy. She looks really pleased with those eyebrows. And if those are the eyebrows that she wants to have, and it's like, I have to correct myself because it's like, why bring negativity in any sense? And so it's re- it's rewiring that for everything you know, and then there's deeper levels, like eyebrows is really surface. Yes. Then there's much deeper levels. I mean, it's like meeting a white woman. I often have to like ensure that I don't assume that she won't understand me mm. because that has been my experience a lot or to ensure that I don't try to meet an expectation that I don't even know that this person has because they're different than me or what have you. I mean, it's for all of us to do just so many layers and layers of understanding that I just really believe begin with being honest about why we think the things we think, why we do the things we do, why we gravitate to the places that we gravitate and like not in a judgmental way because it's like you could be like, oh, my God. I said this thing and it impacted this person this way and I suck now. Yeah. Or you could be like, I said this thing and this person told me how it made them feel and I'm going to take that and I'm going to learn something from that and I won't impact anyone that way anymore. I know now like asking someone to shake their hair is perhaps not the best idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Please, Please don't. At the end of the day, as you said, we're all living, breathing, walking on this world. Everything means something. I absolutely love that. We are all connected. When one group, one skin color, one body type, one ability, one city is struggling, is suffering, it impacts all of us. We saw last year more than ever how a virus that was in one part of the world spread and literally took down our global community in the course of weeks. That shows just how connected we are. So when there's a collective hurt and people are vibrating at that level emotionally, it ripples out. It is touching every single one of us. So this is not something that any of us can ignore or
1: turn our heads to. I just think that the more the more people decide that like this can't be it. Like this can't be the way that things are. Even combating the really surface level bullshit sort of changes that are happening where it's like, you know, now Juneteenth is a federal holiday. And I guess that's sort of nice, but there are so many things happening with voter suppression in so many states where it's like, okay, this is sort of a band aid for like you still stabbing me under here. It's just continuing to recognize that like it's not a fast fix, there's not really a, a finish line that's in sight. Because there's so much to be undone. It's really like being ready to be in it for the long haul. Like if you are really about change, if you're really about like making a difference and showing up for your global community, whatever it looks like, you know, I end all my classes by saying may beings everywhere be happy, safe and free. And I, I really, that's something that's always really, really resonated with me because my favorite Fannie Lou hammer quote is actually nobody's free until everybody's free. And it's absolutely, absolutely true because even if I'm seemingly free here, you know, if my clothes are being made by people who are not free. That energy is coming to me. If my food is being prepared and farmed by people who are not free and they're not, that energy is coming to me like, okay, I can be vegan for the planet, but like, people are getting paid nothing to harvest my organic fruits, perhaps. So, right. like, am I actually impacting the change or am I, you know, looking like I'm impacting the change? So, I just think the more we unpack what we're really doing, like, really doing. And, again, just not, not with, like – it's so unnecessary to, like, shame and guilt yourself because – So you didn't know everything the day you started life. And so now you're learning something new. It's like, so do something now instead of like wasting your time wallowing
0: about it. What I'm curious to know from you is it's so overwhelming sometimes knowing where to start. How do you get dressed in the morning when you're thinking about like the kids that have made your clothes and and the people who made five cents the day picking the cocoa beans off the how do we navigate this balance of deeply feeling and caring and taking action? And then also sometimes just being like, okay, I just need like an $8 green juice from Whole Foods. And I'm going to go to my yoga class because that feels easier.
1: I think it comes back to like, unhonesty, because there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. We've all heard that before. It is true. Because that's Unfortunately, the system that we live in, it's so, so strong. It is impossible to really consume anything. Like you could drive yourself crazy trying to be the perfect human who doesn't participate in capitalism. And it's actually impossible because everything that exists around us is informed by capitalism at this point. And I believe that you can also do things that do create change, that do make an impact. It's like some days I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Whole Foods and get the $8 green juice and then I'm going to go to yoga. And maybe I'm going to buy a really expensive plant <laughs> or
0: whatever. <laughs> you and your plant babies, they're amazing. She has the most stunning Space. You have to go check it out on Instagram and literally has all of these plant babies that she nurtures and sings to and takes care of. And it's amazing. Okay, so yes, buy an expensive plant and do the yoga some days.
1: You know, if that's what you're doing every day and you're never thinking about what it means, you're never thinking about like the underlying factors, you're never thinking about who made your clothes, you're never thinking about who, how these materials came to be you're just feeding the system and you're not doing anything to change it. Whereas it's like maybe some days you have the $8 green juice and maybe some days you hand out free food in skid row. It's just finding a balance. I say this all the time. We have to live. We only have this one little bit of time and we have to live our lives. I don't think that any of us should be like suffering in squalor because we feel bad for everyone else in the world. And, like, what are you doing to help those people? What are you doing to impact change? Are you shining light on any any issues? Are you helping to raise money? Are you getting services out there? Are you volunteering your time, your energy, your thoughts? What are you doing? Because it takes a willingness to understand things that have nothing to do with you, in a sense. Like, it can feel like yes. that a lot, right? Where, yes. like, I've never experienced this. So it's like it feels almost like, you know – kind of not your business, but it's like, actually, you probably have a role in it in some way.
0: I do think what you said is so important. For a long time, it was like, well, this just, just doesn't really impact me. So you can get busy just living your life in your little privilege bubble, and you don't feel that pain, the discrimination that others are feeling. Except for now, now it's different. Now everybody feels it. And even if it's not for the reasons that you would hope that they would feel it, like you can't say that thing on that Zoom call because it could be recorded and blasted out to everyone. But now everyone is being affected. And so there is a a greater learning that's occurring. And maybe it didn't happen just because everyone wanted to be good people, but it's happening. People are watching what they say. They're having conversations behind doors. They're learning because... There's a chance that they as an individual could get fired, blown up on the internet, defriended. I'm not pumped about the motivation, but
1: I am seeing. It's interesting to watch too, because again, it goes back to accountability and honesty with yourself. And, you know, I actually never said anything to that woman who asked me to shake my hair. I did not shake it, but I didn't tell her that that was, like, really shitty to ask me to do and weird and made me feel kind of like an animal. Instead, I just kind of deflected because it's awkward to be in that space. There is more now, I think, a choice to remain in the dark. Because like you said, people are having conversations behind closed doors. They're being mindful of what they say. They're taking – you see things online all the time now. It's kind of unavoidable. If you don't know, it's a choice at this point. And I don't love everyone's motivation for knowing either, but – I do think it's really impactful that people have to acknowledge that they know now, because there's a lot of very passive racism that happens where it's like, I didn't know that that wasn't okay to say, but it's like, well, then how come you said it in secret? Right. It really, really all boils down to accountability. And I think that that goes for all of our privileges. It's a willingness to be honest with yourself. Why is this opportunity coming to me instead of, you know, someone else? Is this actually fit for me? Is this a something I should be speaking up about and representing? Should I be the voice of this cause? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it so that people don't think I'm racist? Or is it because I want to help these people? You know, different things to unpack. And someone I really admire, her name is Charlotte. She made an analogy once at a talk that I was at. And she was saying, like, you know, a lot of the work is almost like you move into a house that someone else lived in and they didn't pack up any of their stuff or do anything. And you just move in and all of your stuff comes in as well. And then you kind of have to walk around the house and you have to say, well, this is not mine. This makes sense to be in the house. And we're all kind of like that. I think where it's like, we have to unpack ourselves and say, Oh, this is something I heard my grandma say once. And that's not actually something that I think at all. Or like, this is something that I saw on TV and I realized that that's not really true. But, you know, it's just unpacking and keeping what like actually makes sense for what you want to have happen in the world, what you want to see, how you want to be. Because I personally don't want to be an angry, hateful person. And it's really hard not to be angry as a black person in America if you're at all conscious It's very difficult not to be angry and I think I've learned that I can't not be angry and I can choose to respond differently to my anger and it can fuel me in a different way. It can fuel me into seeking more joy than I could think is possible for me because I'm so angry that people think I shouldn't have it instead of I'm so angry all the time and now I'm going around pissed off because that doesn't feel good and I think that we're all really here to feel good in our bodies, in our lives, in our experiences. And when we unpack those things that are in ours, I think that that like really good feeling is way more accessible no matter what you're experiencing.
0: I just got full body goosebumps. I don't think I asked you one question that I had prepared for this conversation, but I think it went exactly where it needed to go. And I'm just so grateful for you for carving out time to come join me on this show. I'm always in awe of the stories that you share on Instagram, the work that you're doing out in the world. Uh, where can everybody find you to connect further?
1: I'm on Instagram. It's at Mel Douglas yoga. And the collective is at Black Women's Yoga Co. on Instagram. We're on YouTube, Black Women's Yoga Co. We do lots of virtual programming and pop-ups. We do workshops and stuff like that. So there's lots of different ways to connect. And our programming is for every and anyone who is seeking wellness. Um, that is intersectional. So just knowing that our classes are for anyone to be able to do, our workshops are for anyone to be able to do our resources are for anyone to be able to use. I love
0: it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the beautiful work that you're doing and this incredible energy and practice that you're putting out into the world. If you are listening to this episode, please think of one person that would learn something from this conversation that could get down with this conversation, copy the links, send it on over to them. Take what resonates with you. Check out the show notes. We're going to make sure we drop a bunch of stuff in there for everyone. And I will see you next week.